Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Alright, alright. Hey, hey, welcome back, friends. Another episode of A Little More Good. It is so good. So good. To be able to be with you in this way. Thanks for thanks for tuning in, listening. You know what's good this week, Dean? Tell me. You know, yesterday, there was a race. Haven't watched a race Ooh. in a long time. Yes. And uh, I couldn't race myself. Got a little injury that I'm rehabbing. And and I got, uh, family got hit with a little case of the old COVID. So, uh, going around. I was, uh, you know, glad to leave the house, but, uh, still wasn't ready to go back to, to running a race or anything like that. Yeah. But I went out and I watched, watched you run hey, a race. And, I was up uh, there. It was so inspiring to see people running. Dude, it is, eh? Like every like old person and mom that I saw run by me just like triggered like happiness and, and inspiration in me. And it was really moving. Yeah. I, uh, I totally, I know exactly what you're talking about. And even, even today I was talking about it someone asked me, I was like, Oh, they're like, what'd you do on the weekend? This, 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 this. I ran this race. It's like 8k race. And I was like, yeah, it's like only 8k. And I realized I can say that like, that's such a stupid thing to say. Like it's only, yeah. Cause like, you know, you get into it and obviously a half marathon marathon, people are doing like ultra distances even further right and so you're like oh it's only 8k but then i was like no that's that minimizes like the accomplishment of those hundreds of runners myself included where it's like don't just say only yeah. like because you're trying to like downplay it or like well yeah you know false humility or something um and i just when i said it, i thought of like you know the people who were like the ones at the end of the race Right. And like that's, we've talked about it before. Like that's, those are the true, those are the, like the winners. Yeah. Because like it's easier to be out there for like 38, 40 minutes. But if it's like taking you a lot longer and you're committed and doing it, like that, those are the people that are like deserve all of the kudos. Right. Yes. Cause either whatever, whatever the story might be there, like, yeah. I don't know. That's the inspiration for me. So I love staying around just like near the end of the race and like seeing seeing the people who would be like 
last and they're like, Oh, I'm last. Or maybe they feel yes. bad, but like the rally and everyone that like comes out and cheers and like supports them. It's just like, it's infectious. It's such a, I felt so good to cheer for people too. Yeah. Like I'd just stand there and be like, yeah, you got this. Yeah, yeah. And I'd see them like, you know, get my energy and like kind of get an extra pep in their step or it's whatever. So and true. it was like, I just wanted to cheer on every single runner that was running by. And okay. Like, you can do it. You got this. You're so close. Yes. So we had, we had a bunch of people out from the Stevenson run crew, which yeah. is our like weekly, weekly run crew that we, we meet with. They were, they all came out and cheered. Like if they weren't running, they were cheering. And so there was like three or four little pockets of them along the way. And they'd like shout out your name. And like a couple of them brought their like nice cameras. to so like WhatsApp us all pictures afterwards, like these cool photos and stuff. But it was just so rad because it gives you such a lift when someone shouts you out, yeah, let's go Dean yeah. or whatever, right? They're like cheering, cheering on as people go by. And, um, you know, we had this like WhatsApp chat for the crew and it was like, that was so good. Like, thank you for cheering us on and this and that. And it just made me appreciate um, the value of like being, you know, having a cheer squad. And it just made me think of some of the races that are coming back, you know, this spring. Um, you know, we know a few people in it. Like maybe, maybe we need to have a let's little, go, let's little, go cheer, some people little cheer station. Right. And I know friend, uh, former, former pod, uh, guest, Sean Hamilton, like he posted for the van first half that like him and a bunch of these guys were out, you know, and gals were out at uh, a spot along the route as like a cheer squad and like seeing their Instagram, I had like major FOMO. I was like, oh my gosh, that looks as fun or more oh, yeah. fun than the race. I enjoyed cheering for everybody as much as I did. I felt like more emotional cheering for people, like seeing these like heroes yes. than I do running. Because running it, I just like, it's another run. I get into my headspace and I go. Yeah. But like, yeah, like uh, there was a couple groups. Like there was like at the very tail, there was a, a group of three elder ladies yeah. that like they looked pretty like you know, long in the tooth. Like, yeah. you know, I'd place them as like over 80. Right. They're just like shuffling their feet. And it looked like the three of them have been doing this forever together. Yeah. And they were just like slowly, you know, one step after the other, but they were so content and happy with each other. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. That's, well, that's living right there. Right. And you think about it, like you think, okay, running a race. Yes. And you think about goals. Yes. And like, you know, you want to be fast or yes. you want to be first. You want to win the race. And we always think on like that end of things, right? Like I want to be beat my time from last year or I want to beat this person or I want to come in this cat, you know, top 10 for my age group or whatever it is. But really, like if you think about it, the goal would be like, I want to be able to run this race with some of my friends when I'm 80. Like yeah. they are actually the goal. Those they, those ladies at the end, the right? They are the goal, not the winners. Like yeah. who who cares? There's gonna be a new winner next year and yeah. the year after that. And someone's always gonna be faster and better. But like I wanna be the eighty year old out there, just like I wanna be the oldest person. Right? Yeah. Dude, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. Katie Riddell, we're manifesting some Manifesting. goals. Manifesting. All right. Like like snapping fingers or whatever people do when they're yeah. like, uh, here we go. But that's the thing, man. That's, that's, that's those people, are, those people are the goal. Yeah. All um, right. Thankful for those, those ladies. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to the ladies of the icebreaker. They probably have like a run club name, like, I don't know, something cool. Yeah. And also shout out to the whole icebreaker crew. It was a great yeah. event. Great to be back racing, running on the roads again. And yeah. Thanks to all the volunteers and everyone who, who made that possible. Jared Hume, he's a good, he's a good human. There we go. Shout out to Jared. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's up this week? Who who do we who do we have? Uh, who joined us in conversation? This yeah, week? yeah. Pretty excited about this one. Um, you know, hard, maybe 
tried to play it cool here, but I was like a little starstruck. <laughs> you know, a local celeb for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Right? With someone who's been uh maybe in your in your family for years on the on the evening news. The one and only Tamara Taggart was with us. And um just what a wonderful person. Yeah, what a great conversation. Yeah. Uh Tamara's um you know, she's a, a diligent person in pursuing, you know, being a learner, mm-hmm. being curious and learning and then doing better when she learns. And um, you just kind of really, she encapsulated that so nicely in our conversation, just like seeing how she's open to, to learning and open to embodying those learnings, you know, being the student and putting those those lessons into action over and over and over and over again. And and that was really inspiring on its own. Yeah. Let alone like some of the curveballs that life has thrown her way. Yes. That, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, oh, that's so sad or hard or challenging. And yet like takes it in stride and elevates beyond seeing it as like maybe some negative thing and being like, no, no, this is like, this is going to be something that like doesn't define me in terms of like who I am, but becomes like part of my life and isn't negative right i mean we we channel all kinds of different obviously from from um her diagnosis with cancer and the battle that she had there and the fought the fight there to being a woman in in news media and journalism to being a mother a working mother and of course a mother of a child who is down syndrome right and some of the inherent challenges that people associate with that and how she kind of pivots and just like is so resilient and yeah, graceful in that is amazing. So resilience is a good word. Yeah. So uh, we we talk about ableism. Yes. Um, which is such an important thing to to be aware of and to bring into our life and and how we design our lives so that there's opportunity for everybody, not just just able bodied. Um, that we're we're thinking of disabled communities as well mm-hmm. um, and allowing, allowing is not the right word, but um, having a seat at the table for, for everybody. Yeah. Um, so we talk about ableism. We talk about journalistic integrity, which I think is another hugely important conversation point. Uh, oh man, and so topical for our world. Yes. Yeah. You know, we're so quick to share things um, without... Um, checking facts or finding what the source is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, we're at a, at a point where uh, news and journalism and all of that, there's, you know, fake news and, uh, you know, all of these, these things that are happening within, the, within media um, and editorial spaces. Are, so we, we get into journalistic integrity and, mm-hmm. and the importance of that and uh, cancer and being a mother and current events and uh, yeah. it was just a, a wide spanning conversation yeah. uh, that left me you know wanting to learn more yeah. uh, wanting to do more uh, wanting to to be a better person so mm-hmm. yeah she's so obviously so well spoken and just a lot of fun and um and just just a really like full this is a full conversation in all sense of the word like i just loved it and yeah definitely felt definitely felt the uh, the call to be better as a result. All right, let's let it roll. Tamara Taggart, everyone. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Good to be with you all. We have a very special guest with us today, the wonderful and radiant 
Tamara Taggart, thank you for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's good. We were just kind of pre-potting before and uh, already just like the the laughter and the energy in the room is fantastic. So I know this is going to be a really fun and good conversation that covers a lot of ground. You uh, have done so much. People obviously who are local to like the Vancouver area will recognize you by name and by face, of course, held down uh, like news anchor positions um, with CTV yeah. for many years. Yeah, 22. Well, I was an anchor for seven years, but okay. yeah, I was there for 22 years. Yes, wow. so yeah. cool. So like uh, the voice and face of like evening news and stories that we've all kind of tuned into and seen and still exist online, of course, right? Thank you, mm. internet. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and of course, a mom, a partner, um, advocate, all many, many hats you wear. So we want to cover off uh, as much as we can with, with the time we have with you today and kind of jump and, and have just like, yeah, a fun and meaningful conversation with you. So thanks again I for being it. here. Yeah, thanks for asking me. Yeah. Absolutely. And you guys have some history, right? Yeah, I don't so remember like, how we met. Was it maybe when you first opened the juice truck? Is that I think so. It? I think yeah, so. Yeah, and I'm, we have mutual friends. Yes. And I'm trying to put those pieces together. I have together, no idea definitely. when we first met, but I just, you know, yeah. he's, he's just always been around. I, it's Zach. so good. Yeah. <laughs> we, we talk about it on every podcast, so everyone's sick of it by now, but we were going for a run, which is no surprise to anyone anymore. And Zach's like, oh, yeah, I think uh, I'm going to reach out to Tamara Taggart and like, have her on. I was like, that's amazing. Like, he's, gonna, he's like, oh, yeah, I like, kind of know her. I'm like, of course you do. Like, you know, everybody. The so Vancouver community is yeah, uh, small I and special, know. and uh, it's a nice thing. Yeah. yeah, it's good. So, And I'm sorry that I'm not Ryan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. Well, I was telling Zach when I first saw your podcast photos, I was like, oh, my gosh, Ryan has changed. Like so this much more pandemic handsome. pandemic has really, his hair is so long now. Yeah. And, yeah. and then I realized, oh, it's not Ryan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grew about six inches or That's more. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell Ryan I say hi. Yeah. <laughs> He's here in spirit. Right. Sometimes we get Ryan to join us for the podcast. Oh, that's good. When, when we can drag him out. I know. He's... Well, where should we start? Maybe we can rewind it back to um, pre-journalism. Is that something you knew from a young age? Like, were you always kind of seeking, seeking the truth or seeking stories? Is that something you got into at a young age? Or how did you that's get onto that path? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it came naturally to me to, I started in radio. Um, I I like to talk and mm-hmm. I'm a curious person. So mm-hmm. I like to ask questions and I always have from a very young age. And so I think that I just kind of found my way to the BCIT um, journalism program and radio program. And I applied for the radio program because I felt like, I was, you know, I'd be happy in radio and, and that was a long time ago. And I think I graduated in 91. Oh my gosh. You probably weren't even born. And were you born? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like in at least kindergarten. Oh now. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were learning how to read and write. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, right after BCIT, I, I had a job at Mountain FM in okay. Squamish and yes. then I landed at Fox, and it all went from there. And I found my, I, I kind of found my way to television in okay. a roundabout way and I felt very fortunate with my career that it I just every time a door opened I I chose to walk through it and and every time I walked through one of those doors it led to something else and I think it was a really organic career Mm -hmm. so being part of journalism did that did that change your identity and how you saw the world like did you start Mm -hmm. to see things through 
um, like the news that was occurring versus like mm. the ne- maybe ne- the experience that you were having. Like, were you did it kind of change your lens of how you were seeing things? I I think it did later when okay. I when I started uh, working as a news anchor. Okay, you know I I um I did the weather for ten years. Yes. And so all I really cared about was the weather. Yes. <laughs> I talked to everybody about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> I knew what was happening with the weather for days on end. And it really, you know, I, I took uh, lessons with an atmospheric scientist out at UBC so that I really understood what was happening. And, um, and then when I, when I started on the anchor desk, that's when I noticed that my consumption of news changed. I really, I became, um, I don't want to say obsessive about it, but it, it, I never, I just couldn't turn it off. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, be um, exposed to news all day, uh, do the newscast, come home, put my kids in the bath, put them to bed and then turn on more news. Mm -hmm. And if I wasn't watching more news on TV, I was listening to the news on the radio and I was reading it. Um, you know, we had both papers delivered to our house, so old fashioned, and I was just always consuming it. And I think that I thrived on it. Like Mm -hmm. I loved it because it fed that curiosity. Mm -hmm. Um, but then when I when I when I left television, I really had to um, wean myself off of news uh, because I realized that it actually I I I wore it more than I I recognized. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like it was your story, it was your identity. Well, it, yeah, and also I felt I was I'm an empath, so I I just mm-hmm. really I would. I would be upset about a story for days on end or mm-hmm. I would, you know, somebody would reach out to me and want help and I would like get involved in ways that I shouldn't have because it, you know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm explaining it well. It was, I, it was too much for me Yeah. and I was using other people's stories to um, maybe um, avoid my own stuff, right. if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So it was two things. It was like escapism in a way. And then it also like your connection to the story didn't end when the television turned off. 100%. And also when you're, when you're working in a newsroom, there are so many pieces to a story that you, you can't legally um, report, mm-hmm. right, for, for whatever reasons. But we still know those details from being in court or right. uh, talking to a victim or whatever it might be. So you you also know a side of a story that maybe the public doesn't know. And and those are the things that can really sit with you mm-hmm. for a long time and uh, and make you feel really sad about humankind <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? When you're just being bombarded day in and day out. Because we know from watching news, uh, you know, we save the good story for the very, very, very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news story. But everything else, it really feels like bad news. Yeah. And I mean, that's what the news is. It's the responsibility of, you know, a a local news station, especially to tell you what's happening in your community that you need to make the right decisions for your family, stay safe, all of those things, get upset about, want to change, whatever it might be. And so it really can, um, it can really weigh on you. Mm -hmm. and, And I see that a lot. Uh, with people who work in news and, you know, a lot of my former colleagues and it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. 
I remember watching a documentary, and this is maybe kind of like uh, taking a macro lens of, of kind of what you're sharing, but uh, do you know the journalist, uh, the, the photographer James Natchaway? Mm-mm. He had a, uh, there's a documentary about him called War Photographer, mm. and he would travel the world and document war, war photography. Um, and he would literally be in the line of fire in the middle of a battle with his camera taking photos. And, and he kind of just talked about, like, if he's not there, nobody will tell the story. And he was willing to risk his life, and, like, he'd see all his colleagues pass, and, um, just the importance of journalism and storytelling um, to tell the story of, of the other, of, of to witness history and to hopefully create empathy and connection through either storytelling or photography. And mm-hmm. um, similar to what you were saying, he, like, he was never able to turn that off. He would come home and you know he would live the experience of his photographs over and over and over and over again and right and um, that's what we i think that people especially today don't understand like you know there's this there's so much talk about um mainstream media mm -hmm. and um you know uh journalism and and fake news and all of these things right and i i that is not my opinion at all and it's not my experience so when I hear whenever I hear people say mainstream media it's it's I I have a very hard time continuing a conversation right it's it's like for me it's just like it's over yes because um like the photographer that you're talking about and if we look at what's happening um in Ukraine right Mm -hmm. and the reporters that are on the ground and telling us the stories that is not fake news Mm -hmm. that is uh, and it is mainstream media i guess right (laughs) and it is a a a function of our democracy that we have journalistic integrity and people that can tell us stories about what is happening in real time so that we at home can make the proper decisions yeah so it's not an opinion piece it's not um, it's not a left or a right or a right or a wrong. It's not a journalist's job, and I it, we see it every day is to go in and tell you the story, mm-hmm. and you get to decide at home whether you think that it's a good thing that Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. It's they're not telling you it's bad. They're telling you this is what happened, and here's the story, and here's you know. So we would be in big trouble without those journalists that are on the ground and they are risking their lives every single day to tell us those stories. A hundred percent. I mean, that's how we avoid hopefully, you know, more genocides and and more atrocities in this Mm -hmm. world is through journalists putting their their lives on the line to share stories Mm -hmm. and share experiences. And I think you, you said something that is very true is like journalists aren't, sharing opinion pieces they're they're sharing experiences mm-hmm. um they're sharing like real life happenings yes and reporting on them and mm-hmm. rarely do you see on cable news uh opinion pieces unless it's like a a um yeah so i think that we have a real 
we don't understand. Yes. And I don't know why we don't understand because it's not hard to understand, right? We teach media uh, in school. Uh, My kids are in elementary school and they learned about, they know how it works. And... Um, and so we've all learned it, but we forget it as we get older. And now we have this, this thousand dollar computer that we put in our pocket and walk around with. And some people call it a phone, but it's not a phone, right? It's this computer that we can access any information we want at any time that feeds what we want to know. And social media is not where you should be getting your news from. I tell everybody that. Like my my 11-year-old said to me the other day, do you know that Putin is on TikTok? And I said, no, he's not. And she goes, yes, he is. And I said, no, he's not. And she goes, look, look. And it was some video that somebody made or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to explain to her, <laughs> okay, don't you, we don't get our news from social media because we can't verify whether it's real or not. Yeah. Um, we, um, you know, you, and you should not only get your news from one source. If you're only watching, um, you know, one TV station every single night, that's not a good smorgasbord of information. Yeah. Where are you reading news? Where are you listening to it? Uh, where are you watching it? Um, are you following, you know, um, verified news sources on your social media? Or are you just following some guy who thinks he's an expert on freedom in Canada? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's what we're talking about here. And we, it's, it's really frustrating when I hear people, um, you know, talk about fake news. And we all know when that changed, right? Mm-hmm. It, and it has now crept up north. And it's really, um, I think it's really scary because we cannot have a healthy democracy without um, journalism and without a neutral news. So if somebody is giving you their opinion on news, that is not a journalist talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is somebody who's trying to get hits. And we've, we've changed the way we consume news. We don't sit down together as a family anymore and watch the six o'clock news, right? No. We, we just don't. Tony Parsons was at my dinner table every night right? growing up. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that was, it was an event. Yeah. And, but it's how we got our news. We had no other choice. Now we think we can get it off of Twitter. Yeah. And we can't. You can get opinions and you can get oh, I see, you know, Time Magazine just tweeted that this happened. I would take what Time Magazine posts as, you know, pretty good. Yes. You know, like I would think so. But, you know, I'm not saying that journalism is perfect. There are, it's not perfect by any means. Mm -hmm. And because people want their information for free and they're not willing to pay for it, they're used to getting it for free Mm -hmm. at six o'clock with their family. Um, that's another problem that we have is that people don't want to pay for information. So they go to some website that they think is news because they have news in their name and they're getting a bunch of, you know, opinionated pieces that are not real news. And they can be really harmful, right? Like it's one thing to be misled and, you know, whatever, believe something, but when it's actually like impacting, like you say, our democracy or, you know, I mean, I'm sure we can all think of people where, it's even within families like caused distress or relationships to be stressed or kind of like, well, I'm not talking to that person anymore because they think this and how can they be so foolish to not actually see what's going on here? And so the implications are huge and lots of, lots of 
these quote unquote news sources are completely mm. unverified and there's zero accountability. Whereas like the yeah. mainstream media, yes. like there is accountability. 100%. And if someone says or does something wrong, it has to be corrected and shown and like, and not only that, if they can be fired yeah. for, you know, truly, right? Like that is the integrity yes. that comes with, um, you know, I, like I said, with conventional media, let's yeah. just say conventional exactly, media. Yeah. And um, you said something that uh, I was, you said something about, you know, with families and mm -hmm. it's true, right? Like yeah. we all have a family member who will, you know, email you or text you some Facebook link article. to something. And it's like, can you believe this is happening? Yeah. And, um, and then I, of course, always follow it back and go down and over and down here and oh, over here. And then I find out where it came from and you know, it's not true or it's an article from 1997 or whatever it might be. But I always find when you go back to that person, they don't want to hear it, that it wasn't and so that's what worries me because mm -hmm. we're those types of sites are targeting people who are already feeling um, not validated or scared or whatever it might be, and then they'll take that information and go with it. Yes, you know, yes. like you know, I have a family member who right after I I vaccinated my son who's 14, sent me an article about a boy somewhere in the States that died after he got his vaccination. And I was like, is this really what you should be sending me? Like, how, like, mm -hmm. how does that help me or my son? Or like, are, are you trying to do this to be kind to me or to scare the crap out of me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And so I just don't get that. And I have a very low tolerance for people who don't respect um, journalism. I really have, you know, low tolerance because yeah. I, I, if we live in a world where we don't have journalistic integrity, we have, I mean, we have big problems. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been on the inside of it. It's like mm -hmm. you, you've experienced it. We have all experienced it from one side of the screen, whereas you kind of have both mm -hmm. and you can speak to that process and, and, like the rigor that goes into it. And not only mm -hmm. like your own personal education and growth and you, as, as you said, like, you kind of wear it and own it Sorry. all the time. That was me. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> so you like wear it and own it all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's something that is just like, oh, I have an opinion about something. So I'll just like open my camera app and connect to Wi-Fi and shout mm -hmm. it out there to mm -hmm. the world to see. It's like, no, no, there's been years and years of studying and learning and like accountability to bring mm -hmm. a story that then lets other people decide based on what you're saying, not just That like, is your job. Yeah. It's your only job as a journalist is to present the facts mm -hmm. and then you get to decide right and 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 stories are lawyered and lawyered and lawyered you can't just go on air and say oh this guy killed this guy and it no you cannot do any of that yeah whereas somebody on social media can do whatever they want right. and not be held accountable right well, yeah so it's it's very um it's you know we're lucky in this country mm -hmm. we we and again, I'm not saying that it's perfect. You know, news media is not perfect in this country at all. And there's nobody working in news that would say it is perfect. But um, every journalist I know is uh, has 
a lot of integrity mm-hmm. and uh, is not flippant about what they're reporting on. Yeah. Well, going back to what Dean was saying about kind of going growing up around Tony Parsons, like my family was the same, like six o'clock came and we just paused because my dad was like obsessed with the news. So it didn't matter if we we're having dinner, news was on and we all had to be quiet. Same with if we were in the car, if it was like whatever the hour would be, you know, there'd be news every hour. We all had to stop talking so that dad could listen to the news. And it was kind of like a time to like reflect and, and learn about what was happening in the world. And now we've run this kind of influx of all these kind of sensational ways of, of digesting news. And, you know, back when we were growing up, maybe you read a headline and you didn't understand the whole news. But now you're, you're getting to the point where you were saying you'll explore and get to the, the root of, of the story. You know, people now will often just see a headline whether it's true or not they won't fact check it they'll share it and then someone else will share it and it's a domino of kind of sharing these sensationalized ideas meant to create fear and division and like kind of serve these echo chambers of perspective whether that's like left or right we're kind of like losing the center where journalism Mm -hmm. you know did exist mm-hmm. um well it's clickbait right it's yes. like i want i need i need you to click on this story i need yes. you to because again that's how yes they pay the bills right is by you know clicking to the website you know i had a conversation with somebody who uh i i've really like focused on because like i said i have no tolerance low tolerance or no i've gone from <laughs> low to no I, I, no tolerance for um yeah. It's a scale from yeah, Exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, they were um, sharing stories from a website that I'm not going to name, and it has news in its title. Um, and a lot of people feel that this website mm-hmm. in Canada is uh, a news source. It's not. It is a racist website. Full on, full stop. And um, it's, I, and so I said something like, hey, I don't think it's a good idea to A, follow them (laughs) and to B, uh, reshare them because this isn't actually true and there's not, you know, and I, I was met with, um, you know, resistance and, and, uh, and how told that, you know, mainstream media and this and that and da, da, da. And I, I, I just, I can't, I, that's what worries me Mm -hmm. is people that I know who I know are, you know, smart, caring individuals who have somehow been sucked into this idea that, you know, mainstream media is a bad, bad thing and they're all lying to us. And it's not true. That is rhetoric from the South of us. Mm -hmm. And it is not true. Um, It's just that we as individuals have lost sight of what is journalism Mm -hmm. and what isn't journalism. And that's on each individual to you know buck up and figure it out yeah because who are we raising what what's happening to our kids if we believe that this racist website is now a news source yeah well i think that's really important i'm glad you you mentioned that too about the kids because like so i teach in high school like part-time as well and you know i always do current events Mm. and it's changed because it's really interesting before kids would kind of like roll their eyes and be like oh it's like news stories but now it's like in the last certainly this year like kids will come into the class and be like, yo, Mr. Morris, can we, are we going to talk about like, for example, this week, literally, are we going to talk about what's going on in Ukraine? Like, is it going to affect us here? Like everything on my social media is about it. 
So the flip side is exactly is like the the youth, the young people who were like, get involved in politics. Like you're going to be voting in like two years. Like you have to know this kind of stuff. You have to care about this stuff. They're starting to care because they can't scroll through their social media without seeing pray for Ukraine or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be like Putin has TikTok or, you know, it starts a conversation. Yes. But the important teaching is like, okay, now how do you differentiate between what's good and like, how do you go back to a source that you can say, okay, here's where you can actually learn what's going on versus just some sort of clickbait thing where they're like, oh my God, like it's a conspiracy. Mm. And you're like, no, no. Well, but also it brings up a good, it brings up a good point. Like, do we, do we understand what propaganda is? Yeah. Do we? Mm. I mean, I don't know because we yeah. live in Canada and, you know, we, have had it really, really good here, mm-hmm. you know, my entire life. Yeah. Um, and now what is propaganda? And I saw something really interesting that made me think about propaganda because I'd never really thought about it before. Yeah. I thought that's something that happens not here. Right. And it was, it was when, um, the occupation, I'll call it of, um, Ottawa was happening and, Everybody was saying, oh, the police are so calm and this and that. And they were, I thought. But um, people weren't leaving and they all had their phones out. And I read a piece about how this is a propaganda collecting event. And I'd never looked at it through that lens. Hmm. So now we're seeing video of like a police officer hugging someone. But we didn't like, a, you know, a, a, a trucker, a so-called trucker. Um but we don't know what led up to that or anything. But now it's like, oh, look at even the police are with us. So is that the point of that? Like, did, we don't know what happened off camera. Did they say, can I please have a hug? I'm like, you know, and then a hug and record this. And I don't know. But it was very interesting at what I was seeing happening live on the news because there were live cameras everywhere. And then what I was saw what was happening on social media the other side of it where look at what this police officer did and look at this and mm-hmm. look at their this woman was killed right there was that a woman was run over by a horse and killed and it turns out it was a a, a reporter from a cable station in the u.s that lied about it for mm-hmm. clicks and she has uh, over a million followers and it spread like wildfire all over the world that a woman died by an rcmp uh, you know, mounted, uh, you know, police officer. Yeah. You can't take that back. No, it's out the there. genie's out of the bottle. Yeah. So you can't, no matter how many times we say, Oh, Hey, actually she didn't die. She was hurt. She didn't die. And you know, so people don't go to look back on that. No, they don't. And so it's like what you said, Zach, right. About the clickbait. You mm-hmm. see the, you see the, the title woman dies. Da, 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 it gets sent. Did you see this? Did you share, see this? Share, Did share. you see this? What's yeah. like the, the saying, I think you found it on your social media. <laughs> which now we have the question, but it's like opinions used to be based on facts, mm. but now facts are based on opinions. Mm. And it's like, it feels too true. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the truth? And listen, social media is good for so many things. Well, if we look at what's happening in Ukraine right now, um, like I feel like the world is activated and is supporting Ukraine and it's, it's, battle because of social media yes um and And they're able to fight back against the propaganda right that is happening in russia Mm -hmm. right 
where people don't know yeah, what's re- actually happening. I was reading that like Russian citizens don't actually even know what's yeah. happening because of censorship yeah. and you know yes. various other and things. That is propaganda. Yes. And we don't have that here. No. (laughs) You know, we don't, we're not, and sure, you can say, oh, you know, this station is biased or this is biased or whatever. Okay, go back to, is this an opinion piece that Mm -hmm. you're reading or is this a report Mm -hmm. that you're reading? Mm -hmm. And then, because every paper has an opinion uh, columnist, right? Everybody has somebody who is, we all do, right? We, it's not me. I'm not part of we anymore. So there we go. (laughs) (laughs) They do. Yeah, I remember at school. So I went to Emily Carr for for university, and you know they they teach us a little differently at uh, at art school. Let's go along with our finger painting and all the rest <laughs> of the fun things we do. <laughs> but but I remember um, when they were talking about news and and consumption of news, they were I can't remember which teacher it was, but they were saying that it should be like our diet. You know, you don't just eat rice. You have a million different foods that you eat, and that you know makes up your diet for the day. And how we consume news uh, if we want to be level-headed people and have diverse opinions on diverse situations. We need to consume, you know, multitudes of, of news from various sources. And if we're, if we're only ever listening or prescribing to one channel or one voice, then we're likely wrong. And I think we need to get into the habit of of digesting different opinions and mm-hmm. sometimes opinions that so we don't true. agree with. Yes, yes, of course. If I, I'm not just reading the people I agree with. Yes. No, I'm reading. I'm not reading a racist website. No. I can tell you that you can, right you, now. You that draw, that draw, website yes. gets zero attention from me, except for I went through. I went through to see if I knew anyone that was following them and I unfollowed every single person I knew that was following them because that's how strongly I feel about it because that is a no-go zone for me. Yeah, Racism should be a hard line. There's hard lines in life. 100%. And it's like, oh, but what they're saying now, no, that doesn't work like that. But I love going, you know, to like BBC yeah. and reading what's happening. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, sometimes I was, I was reading a family history book from Ireland, right, that uh, one of my cousins put together. And I was like, I wonder what's happening in Ireland. And so I went to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like an I- Irish uh, newspaper and I read a few articles. And it really gives you, same with Ukraine. I've been reading, you know, um, the Ukrainian news that uh, from their independent paper and, I don't take everything I read and go, well, this is the truth. This is it. It's exactly what your teacher taught you. Mm -hmm. It's exactly that. We need little bits from everywhere to be a well-rounded, informative citizen. Mm -hmm. Well, I even remember like the first time I traveled reading a newspaper from another country and being like, wow, this is a different perspective. And it really like opened my eyes that something that we were projecting on another country, maybe that country is not safe. Uh, to travel or to, you know, and then you read that newspaper once you get to that country that's like quote unquote unsafe and you're having a very safe experience. And then you read that country's perspective of maybe the country that you came from. And it's like very different than your experience of living in that country. And I was yeah. like, oh, wow, I need to like consume different perspectives to to, to land mm-hmm. on some sort of truth or some sort of, you know, contemplation so that I can explore what that experience really is. Yeah. Yeah. One well, d- during like 2020 when there was like the huge uh, movement, the groundswell really uh, around George Floyd's mm. uh, 
like arrest and murder and how he was this spark for something that was just below the surface, right? And all of these movements of Black Lives Matter came out and there's a whole thing on social media to like diversify your news feed mm-hmm. and not necessarily mm-hmm. meaning news, but just like your scroll. Mm-hmm. So like the invitation to follow people who look, think, act, believe, behave differently than you mm-hmm. so that to try and break out of the algorithm that is made to be an echo chamber so we like and see more of the things we like and share and see and it just like gets more and more of the same and we think that we're so connected globally but actually the app and the algorithm algorithm is designed to make that global experience mm-hmm. actually quite small oh yeah we are little tiny pawns in yeah the, <laughs> yeah like we yeah for so sure we're it, being played all the time all the time and we think it's like the illusion of like oh yeah look at all these different people from all over the world that think just like me we must all be right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's designed to like link yeah. you all together. Look at all these white wellness people that keep telling me that we don't have freedom. We must not. Like I'm, I'm being serious. It's like, you know, and it's, we need to take a step back and, and put our phones down mm-hmm. and, and consume news and look at the world through the lens of, you know, where, where does my privilege sit? And that's the other thing that people have a really difficult time with. You, they think that by pointing out your privilege, it means that you were a bad person. It does not mean you were a bad person. We all have privilege, everybody. Um, but, you know, and if the color of your skin is white, like the three of us sitting here, we are, we, our privilege is like right here at the mm-hmm. top. And, and, that doesn't mean we're bad people. It means that we have to be aware of it so that we don't um, use our privilege in for bad, for yeah. evil. We use it for good and to understand other people's walks of life and to understand other people's struggles and uh, trauma and and try to use it our, our privilege for good. Yeah. I think uh, something that I've seen too is like, as we've alluded to, we the idea of propaganda in Canada is like, what? We haven't had to think about that in generations. Mm. And this idea that like we, for so long, mm. many of us have experienced a great deal of privilege that like the line has been blurred. So now we just assume those things are rights mm-hmm. and we forget that they're actually just, it's mm-hmm. privilege. And then those things we want to seal them in concrete because privileges are nice. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to like not have them. That's the definite, it's, it's a great thing to have. But when you mistake those privileges as like, no, this is my right, yeah. the, things can get ugly. And I think unfortunately we're seeing, we're seeing that in our world today. 100%. One, it, and again, we're raising children. And so, you know, the three of us are parents. And so, you know, what are we teaching our kids about their privilege? Mm. And, because I remember the first time someone said to me that I was privileged. It was a, a long time ago and I was so offended and yeah. because I understood it as something different than what they were saying. Like I felt like snooty or snobby. Or, yes, yes, right. Because yeah. that, for when I was a kid, that was a definition of it, right? Like that you were rich or something, right? Yeah. And I was like, I, you know, like I, no, I've that's hard. not true. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so instead of me staying in that mindset of, you know, I was, I, I stepped back from it and I went, okay, what does this mean? 
And then when I left television is when I really understood my privilege. Mm. And I wasn't able to look at it because I understood that I was living in a bubble mm-hmm. uh, of where I was with a high paying job. People knew who I was. I was, you know, living in uh, a house and a family and I could not see past. I couldn't see that. But once I was out of it and I started, I stepped away from that bubble and the people in the bubble, Mm -hmm. right? And now I have a different life than that. And I now see, I see the world through a very different lens now. Uh, But I had to do a lot of work and, and a lot of me work, you know, and I think that we all have to do that work and it's not a bad thing. It's, it's not a bad thing. And so I have a lot, I have lost some friends, uh, during the pandemic because, um, they don't understand their privilege during a pandemic. I mean, if we just take the pandemic in general, right. And I know you guys have talked about this too, you know, and, and, Nobody likes mandates. Nobody likes restrictions. No one likes to be told what to do. Like we really don't. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden we've had all this, you got to do this. You got to do that. Oh, wait, no, we're going to change this and we're going to do this. None of us want this, but I'm willing to do it to keep everybody safe because I know through my experience of being a parent to a disabled child that there is an enormous amount of people in this country alone, 25% of Canadians identify as having a disability, right? right? So 25% of Canadians might not do okay if they catch COVID. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes to keep those people safe. That's why we do the things that we do, right? It's not about me, it's about everybody else. And if we all thought that way, Mm -hmm. it would be, wouldn't this be a great place? Mm-hmm. You know, the world would be great. We, we wouldn't be killing each other. We wouldn't be like, you know, crying about our freedom in the freest country in the world. We wouldn't be doing any of those things, right? Because we're not thinking about me. We're thinking about every- And this pandemic has not been easy for anyone. No. It has been extremely difficult for everyone's mental health, their their income, their, I mean, everything. It's just been, it's been horrible. And we all want it to go away. But I don't know. Dean and I often talk like a simple filter is do these decisions serve the collective or do they serve the individual? And if it is serving the individual, then there's probably something problematic. If it's serving the collective, that's probably mm-hmm. or, or like you, you know, you talked about 25 percent of being of Canada being disabled to, to some degree. Like does do, do these decisions serve um those the the others that have the biggest hill to climb mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that have the least amount of privilege do these decisions serve those minorities or are these decisions only serving the most privileged and if they're only serving the most privileged then it's probably yeah the wrong thing and to i do. mean the other thing that we need to recognize is that of those 25 percent of people in canada that have a disability uh a, a, a massive portion of those people live in poverty. Mm-hmm. And when you live in poverty in a pandemic, mm-hmm. your life is very different than somebody who, you know, is living in a house that they own with their kids and they have access to healthcare and masks and they have a job and they, their kids are going to school. All of the, they can go get their groceries. They can have their groceries delivered. Those, those things don't exist. And that's being in that bubble. I was in that bubble. And yes, I watched 
lots of news stories and I knew how uh, bad and sad the world and you know our country and our province and our city could be but it wasn't until I left that bubble and really you know ventured out into um, you know and met many different people that I understood that what it's really like mm. and when you see that and I do think that it would change for a lot of people if they were able to you know volunteer uh, at the battered women's support services which is one place that I volunteered I mean you know come and sit for a few hours and answer the crisis line with me and your idea of what's happening in the world will change drastically and quickly mm -hmm. 100% yeah so much irony too in the fact that like we are so used to the like our country the way it is and like you had said you know the the freedoms and stuff that we have but the irony is is like we have the country we have today because people had a we mentality not a me mentality if people had that mentality 50 years ago 100 years ago even not so many years ago our country would not be the same place it is today mm -hmm. but because for the majority of folks they thought no this is what the greater good needs this is what actually is going to be better sure it might cost me something it might be a bit of a sacrifice or whatever but like this is actually what's going to be the best mm -hmm. right everyone always like, oh yeah canada's great all my friends from the states you guys just walk into the walk into the hospital and get whatever you need like try living down here you got to decide am i going to sell my car or like mm -hmm. get that surgery mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, yeah, that's because we've made the decision collectively. Like, healthcare is important for everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, even that's falling apart. Now. <laughs> and, and, yes, that's, that's and, but that's the thing. It's like the the mentality that got us to where we mm -hmm. are now is that we mentality, mm -hmm. and it, it's it's yeah, it feels like that's in jeopardy, or people don't see it. They don't see. Yeah, that and that's I think what that we're also here. evolving, right? We we understand now. Uh, maybe understand isn't the right word. We are brutally aware and if you're not then uh we need to have a different conversation about um you know how canada came to be and um the discrimination that still exists today towards yeah. indigenous peoples in yes. this country and you know whenever i talk about that on social media um it doesn't get as many likes as you know something else what i can't compare it to, to whatever right and so I've, I found that really interesting too, because again, I know it makes people uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but I also recognize that it's my responsibility to understand colonization. Uh, it's not my personal fault. I know that, right? It's not your personal fault. But I, I understand how this country, you know, <laughs> how we, we all came to be here. And... Yeah. And we have some work to do. Mm -hmm. Well, exactly right. And even in that, like the fact that we have the country we do today is because people made we decisions. But even that, mm -hmm. there was neglect in who that we was. Exactly. And so we need to be continually expanding that definition yes. to include everyone. Not do you just think the though that it's because, do you think that, I always think that people think that if I, if you get something, then that means it's less for me. Yeah. And that, then I need to panic. That's a funny attitude. I think that is totally prevalent and it's so untrue. I mean, I think to make like, maybe this is a terrible comparison, but like when I had a second kid, it's like, do you love your first kid less? 
no. You know, like, like but people always talk about that. How yeah. could I love another child? You will, trust me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it works. So I, I think it's like people are so scared to lose their privilege because they think in elevating or giving equal opportunity to others will will create mm-hmm. less opportunity for mm-hmm. themselves. But it really it just creates a society where we can like all enjoy uh, a seat at the table. Yes. Um, yeah, well, what, exactly. And it, it's, there's a pie. Yes. And if you, if you get the pie, well, then what piece am I going to get? Yes. If you get it? it doesn't, life is not a pie. Life is yeah. not a pie. Right? Yeah. It's not how it works. Yeah. No. It's, it's so, um, there is nothing worse than living in a space where you feel competitive with everybody else around you. Oh my and I, I could write five books on how that feels because I was in, television and radio for 28 years Mm. and I lived in that competitive Mm -hmm. horrible target on your back for a long time and it takes a long time to get rid of that feeling and I you know if I they always say what would you go back and say and I would I really would say to myself like it's life is not competitive like it's really not we have this idea that it is but there is enough for everybody there really is but we have it in our in our heads that we have to have a big house and we have to have a big backyard and we have to have lots of money in the bank. These are the this is what success is. Mm-hmm. A nice car and a nice this and a job and a holiday and a this and a that. And we have this idea that we've all been brought up on. You're gonna get married and you're gonna have some kids and you're gonna be so happy and it's gonna be great and you're gonna get a job and you're gonna do this and but that's not what life is. That is a colonial way of looking mm-hmm. at life. Yeah. And it, it doesn't exist today. And that's why people are so worked up, some people, about, you know, um, pronouns. Like, people can't handle pronouns because they, they don't want you to identify as a she, her, or they, them. And it's like, but why do you care? Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are that all just so... constructs that somebody created and they can just be as easily changed and yeah. re And it comes back to the white supremacy thing, mm-hmm. right? It really does which trust me people don't like it when you bring up white supremacy but we have to understand it in order to stop it yeah. and and calling out you know I interviewed um Eternity Martis a few weeks ago and she's an author a Canadian author and she said to me you know everybody's scared to be called a racist or accused of racism but it's not about one person it's about the system mm-hmm, yeah. is racist yeah you know, the systems are racist. Yeah. And once you sort of remove, because we're, we're, you know, we're so um, narcissistic that we think everything's about us, right? Yeah. It's like, it's not about you. It's actually about the systems that we've built. Yeah. Those this, systems totally. need to change. And it's the seen- system benefited the we and not everybody. The we was very select in who the system benefited. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. need to decolonize and and acknowledge the white supremacy in the colonial system that has made up Canada and our history for the last X amount of year. Well, the entire history of Canada. Yeah. Uh, So we need to, uh, I took a course and it's called, um, uh, Canada's history through the lens of indigenous women. And it's amazing. It's probably something we should all take. It's amazing. And I, I always say to everybody, you should take this because it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like to decolonize your life is actually really amazing mm. and great. 
And once you hear the history of Canada through the lens of an Indigenous woman, I, you will not be able to not pay attention. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating and it's so good. And it's, we should all be excited to, to listen and learn from other people instead of from those echo chambers that we mm-hmm. yeah. were talking about earlier. The ones that just high five our, our opinions and beliefs already and we can just feel good. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, I wonder how do we, with our kids or our friends, neighbors, aunts, uncles, whoever it is, with everyone, how do we foster that sense of curiosity? Like, I think that we all have it when you said, oh, I'm just like a naturally curious person. I was like, oh yeah, like that's, of course, right? If I don't know something, it's like, well, what? I didn't know, yeah. I didn't know that. Now I need to like go in there. And it's not just like accumulating knowledge. It's like driven by curiosity. And I think that when you have that, you are a person who is wired to be open to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you are okay with someone saying like, confronting you with something, hey, that's your like privilege showing or that thing you said, don't know if you're aware, but that was like a racist thing and not hear it as like, whoa, you're a racist. Mm-hmm. But be like, oh man, okay, I gotta like learn to be better, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder like how in a world that is so polarized, like how do we create spaces and places for people to like foster their curiosity and like make mistakes, but as long as they're willing to like own it Mm. and in a low stakes kind of way but just say like oh yeah shoot I shouldn't hold that view or I shouldn't believe that thing or wow thanks for pointing out that this website is actually like kind of a joke and is yeah has like these maybe more like sinister ulterior motives or past that Mm -hmm. is colored in like racism and bigotry and like maybe I shouldn't rely on that yeah without just being like jumping to the defensive Mm-hmm, cuz mm-hmm. i feel like that's where we're at so much now you're right? 100% right for sure we're there i a couple of things one when you asked about kids right so what i try to do with my kids cuz it's hard to you know they're still young but they're not right yeah. like okay so i could say oh my 11 year old's too young to learn about residential schools really 11 year olds were at residential schools mm-hmm. so yeah. if she's too young to learn about it then why were we you know like come on yeah. She's not too young to learn about it. No kid is too young to learn about uh, genocide. Right. Uh, if it happened in our own country, two children the same age as your kids, right? Like this is how we change mm-hmm. is we don't go, oh, we're going to wait till they're older. No, 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 no. Um, I watched, um, there's a documentary called Crip Camp. I don't know if you've seen it. Have no, you seen it? Oh no. my gosh. Please watch it. It's so good. Crip Camp. And I watched it with my youngest when she was 10. And I wanted her to see disability in the 60s. And I wanted her to see how the movement, uh, the Accessibility Act in the U.S. came to be. And it was through these teenagers that all met at Crip Camp. And it's where all these disabled kids went. And they were dropped off. And, and they were all... Uh, you know, the counselors were disabled. And I mean, it was just, it's, it's an incredible movie. And um, Judith Human is, um, uh, she's, she's an icon. And um, so I watched it with Poppy. And I mean, there were, it was so funny because at one point in the movie, they, uh, they all got crabs. Mm. And they were talking about it and laughing and everything. I was like, oh my gosh, oh dear. 
I hope, well, how am I going to explain this? I didn't think I'd be having a conversation about this. It just went right over her head. Like she didn't even hear it. Right. Like she was just yeah. like, and I was like freaking out about, Oh, how am I going to explain this? They're, yeah. they're not actual crabs, but they're, you know, like, yeah. what am I going to do here? And I'm panicking about something that <laughs> mommy loves her like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> but she got to see disability in a way that, 99% of us have not seen. It's on your perspective. And, and I don't even know what she remembers about that documentary. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that it's, it was there and she was exposed to it and it's normalized yes. because it should be normalized. Uh, and um, I just thought it was so great. And I think that we are too scared to expose our kids to things like the news. We have been watching the news nonstop um, since, you know, what's happened in, in Ukraine. And, you know, I've seen a lot of articles on how to talk to your kids about war and all that. I've just been honest with my kids and let them see the stories. And yeah, they're scary and yeah, they're terrifying. But you know what? That is how we learn. Mm-hmm. Because when we get older, we can, I remember like being so scared of the Falkland uh, War when mm-hmm. I was a kid. It and my first reaction was very similar, right? Is it going to come here? Are we going to die? That is so normal for a kid to say that. Of course it is, right? So when my kids are watching uh, this all unfold, they're say, asking me the same questions. And I'm like, it's really scary. And this is why we need to, you know, and, and, and so you can, you can guide them through it. Like I'm not watching it 24-7 with them. But we are watching it every day because they need to know the reality of the world. Otherwise, they're going to grow up in a bubble. Yeah. And unable to cope with the situations that happen every day. And bubbles are bad. Yeah. Yes. Put some holes in your bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Big holes in holes. your bubbles, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. We need to we need to expose. I, I love that. Like expose our kids, you know, at a in an age appropriate way, or be able to have the conversation with them after to say, you know, this is this is what it's like. I can remember last June, right, driving, for whatever reason, we had our kids in skating lessons in june oh yeah but i was probably the only time you could get in i think so yeah yeah but but we weren't allowed in they had to like just go in you know it was like um we were driving and it was just on the heels of the first uh discovery of the 215 Mm. like graves and children up in uh the kamloops first nation and i remember like it was so fresh and i was driving there and top of the hour the news came on and right away they started in with it and it was like, I was kind of listening and I didn't know if like my daughter was listening in the back and then kind of thought, oh, maybe I should like, and I turned mm. the station. Yeah. Because I was like, this is like, I don't want her to hear this. And then she's like, wait, dad, I was listening to that. Mm. And I was like, you were? And I was like, okay. So we went back and we listened to it. And then the whole way to skating, she was like asking me questions about it. Of course. And like, I still get emotional thinking about it because I was like, kind of like losing it, talking to her about like, people took children and they put them in these things and called them schools, but it wasn't like a school. Like what you go to is school. They did mm-hmm. not go to a school like that. And like, she was like, well, why would they do that? Exactly. And there's this curiosity that like, had I just been like, oh, news is bad or that's bad news or that's like scary. That conversation doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't see her dad like getting emotional about kids who are taken from their parents and have that connection. She doesn't make the connection to like, oh, like my school is a good school and that wasn't really school at all. So 
that's like a moment, right? Mm-hmm. That my but, instinct was like, get rid of this news. But you asked, you asked earlier, like, how do we, you know, create curiosity? How do we make our kids curious? You did in yeah. that moment. You saw the curiosity of your child. And if you would have, you know, shut it down and she didn't ask for it back, that was an opportunity missed for her curiosity to bloom, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I think that we, kids are naturally curious. Mm-hmm. They are naturally curious. We all were curious when we were kids. So when we grow up, at what point does our curiosity get stomped down? I, who knows, yeah, right? Yeah, And just foster it as long as we can yeah. and have those conversations yeah. and invite them into those spaces. And Curiosity is amazing. Yeah. You know? Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Love it. Oh, I'm just li- sitting here listening. Uh, um, I feel like we're just getting started. Oh my goodness. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, one thing... Maybe we can, I'm sure we'll loop back around, but one thing that I wanted to talk about, and I think it's all connected, uh, we were talking about privilege, and uh, one thing that I've, I've learned from you that I've kind of expanded my own learning uh, from some of the things that you've shared on your Instagram stories and your feed is um, ableism. Mm. And that was a concept that um, I was na- naive to as a privileged, able-bodied, white, you know, male. Um I wasn't, you know, aware of of ableism and and the privilege that I have and that I carry as an, as an able-bodied person. Mm-hmm. And you recently um, shared another YouTube video that I watched that I found really profound of oh. uh, this society, this kind of community where everybody was, uh, quote unquote, you know, disabled uh, or had um, some sort of. You know, was that the up up downside? Is that what it was? Yes, yes the up downside. Yeah. Everybody everybody had Down syndrome. Yes, it, it was a you know a, a a community a world where everyone had Down syndrome, mm. and then a couple with Down syndrome had their baby. It's a short film. It's 12, 12 minutes long. Yes, it's profound. It mm. is. Uh, I watched it with the kids the other day, and there was silence and questions and even though they have a brother with down syndrome they had a lot of questions like so you know and this couple with down syndrome has a baby the baby is born without different different has Mm. one less chromosome than everybody else (laughs) doesn't want to hug and snuggle right (laughs) it's so good and i i cannot like it's i think it's brilliant and when i watched it the second time I saw a dozen more things that I didn't see the first time. And so I appreciated it even more. But yeah, it's it's a really it's it's yeah, he he was different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Downside I, up. Is that what it's called? Downside I up? Think yeah. So. And, Downside up. And he being different through if we were to watch it, we would see mm-hmm. this individual as normal. Yes. Um yeah. so just to like flip that perspective just was so the contrast was so stark that it like just really amplified the privilege that we live with every day and just the perspective that we live with every day where we're not necessarily being empathetic or understanding to, you know, other experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, This example being those with Down syndrome, but going back to ableism, um, maybe because, you know, we talked about like, what is it? 25% one in four Mm -hmm. or or Mm -hmm. even less, um, Mm -hmm people in Canada have some form of disability. Um, could you share your experience, um, you know, through motherhood and what you've learned of this definition of 
mm-hmm. what ableism is to you and how um, as a society we need to understand it to dismantle it. Yeah, I think that most people don't know what ableism is. Yes. And and so I, I and I think that's okay to admit you don't know what it is, yes. right? Because most people don't know what yeah. it is. I ask people all the time, especially when they're being ableist, I always say, do you know what ableism is? And they're like, no, what is that? And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> clearly you don't know. Um, because the way you're speaking is very ableist. Um, so, you know, we... Uh, as a society, have been told and we believe that uh, disability is bad. And uh, we should, I mean, you can go far as, oh, if I ended up in a wheelchair, I would just want someone to kill me. I could never, ever do that. Okay, well, how many things are wrong with that sentence? And I've heard that, I've heard people say that numerous times. Mm -hmm. Oh, just pull the plug on me if I, you know, or whatever it might be. Those are all ableist things to say. And so we, um, you know, don't stare at that person. Uh, Don't ask a question. Don't, you know, all these things. And so what we've done is we've created an us and a them. And so if you have a disability, I feel sorry for you and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to be like you. And do you want me to push your wheelchair for you? And a wheelchair is, is, uh, is something that a disabled person uses. It's not a part of them. It's not your business if they can stand up and walk to the toilet. It's not your business if they uh, need, use crutches sometimes. It doesn't mean they're less disabled. It doesn't mean... So There's. it's just so far and wide ableism that it's hard to um, describe it in, in one sentence. And I, I read you guys before we started yeah. what... Um, Rebecca uh, Tossig said, and so she wrote a book called Sitting Pretty, and uh, I love Rebecca very much, (laughs) and she wrote, uh, she has uh, been uh, disabled since she was three years old, and she wrote, uh, or says, my definition of ableism would be a set of beliefs and structures that favor, fetishize, and build the world around a largely imagined and idealized body. So it's like we put constructs on what we value. 100%. Yeah. So for example, when Beckett was born, Mm -hmm. um, uh, we didn't know he had Down syndrome. As a matter of fact, we were told he didn't. I went for a bunch of tests. So it starts super early, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you need to go have this test. Oh my gosh. Okay. My first baby, right? What what test? We're going to test to see if your baby has Down syndrome. Oh, okay. So right away... I have learned from medical experts that this is something I need to be worried about. Yes. And then the next thing is if, okay, you're going to have about 24 hours to decide after we do this test to decide what, if you want to terminate the pregnancy. Oh my gosh, what? I'm like, you know, I'm 13 weeks pregnant. What are you talking about? And then I go for the test and then, you know, my husband, Dave and I were like, Oh, I don't know. Like, I don't even understand this. Like, and then the test comes back. No, everything's fine. I had a test called a nuchal translucency test. And, um, anyways, everything was fine. Beckett (laughs) was healthy when he was born. Yeah. Uh, he had a blood test when he was born and because my husband is half Japanese and Beckett looked like he was a cute little Japanese baby. Uh, they were confused because the doctors thought he had Down syndrome and Dave thought he was Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we did a blood test and it was confirmed. 
And it took me seven hours to write an email. Uh, we were terrified. And I mean, you know, Dave and I knew nothing about Down syndrome. We were scared because we were taught to be scared mm -hmm. from all the medical experts around us. Everything was hushed and uh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, like, um, you know, he's not going to be able to do this, not going to be able to do that. Like, oh, and we need to do this test and his heart and his this and his. It was a nightmare. And I just thought, if I don't want anyone to say I'm sorry, uh, because he is my son, yeah. he's perfect, he's beautiful, he's healthy, and I am not going to get an I, I'm sorry. But the ableism is that I just want to have a healthy baby. <laughs> You know, that's why people say, right, oh, who cares if it's a boy or a girl? Well, there's problems with that now, isn't there? Mm. Uh, you know, in gender reveal parties and all that sort of stuff, yeah. right? But let's get back to ableism with disability. It's like, you know, everybody always said to me, oh, what, uh, do you know what you're having? And I'd be like, oh, no, you know, we're keeping it a surprise. Oh, well, as long as it's healthy. And so all of a sudden I had a baby with an extra chromosome and I knew that that was not deemed healthy to others in society. And it scared me and it worried me and it was something I never had to consider before. So I wrote an email, it took me seven hours mm -hmm. <laughs> for not a very long email, mm -hmm. but I told people how to act. I told people what to say. I said, you know, we have a beautiful baby boy. He has trisomy 21, also known as Down syndrome. Uh, he has an extra chromosome. We don't know much. We're going to, uh, you know, I'm going to read up on everything because that's what I do when yeah. I want I'm a curious person. And, um, and please don't say you're sorry. Our boy is beautiful mm -hmm. and congratulations will do. Yeah. And that's what we got. Not only one person said, I'm sorry. Um, and I don't talk to them. No, I'm just joking. And, um, but you know, it's people need to be told what to do mm -hmm. and they need to know that it's okay. I love my son Beckett and I, you know, I, we never think about down syndrome. We just don't, we don't think mm -hmm. about it, but I do know the ableism that is surrounding my son. Yeah. And so it's my job. I feel until he is able to, to break down those barriers and to help people understand. And I, and I really think that's why the pandemic was so difficult for me and some friendships is that I, for 14 years, I've been looking um, at life through the lens of my son. And I've seen the barriers and I've seen the assumptions. I've seen the looks. I've heard the comments. I've had people, um, you know, in the comment sections about me over the years say the most horrible things about my son. And so when it came to the pandemic and I saw how, um, how flippant some people were about how this pandemic affected people with disabilities and especially people with disabilities living in poverty it really really pissed me off mm -hmm. and I was not able to uh with some people to uh give them permission to be so ableist and so um you know it, it helped me weed out the it really did show me who the people I don't want in my life are right and so um, but ableism is something that, I mean, I was saying to you, you know, when 
your kitchen is built for an able-bodied person. Yeah. I mean, not your fault, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you looked at the place and you bought it. It works for you. But if you were to sell this place and somebody with, uh, I mean, it's great. You can, you can wheel in here. It's great. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, I'd have to redo the whole kitchen. Because we don't even build buildings that, you know, are, are accessible for everyone. Yeah. We can do it. It's possible. We just need to put on that lens, mm-hmm. accessibility, you know? What's well, our whole society. I mean, I was listening to a, a podcast on ableism earlier today, and they were talking about how New York has a 10-year plan <sighs> to make the subway system accessible. So, like, and people were, like, applauding that, like, oh, in 10 years. Yeah. So people are supposed to just live yeah. a life of inconvenience for 10 years and mm-hmm. maybe one day they'll be able to take the subway. Yeah, maybe. Like so the, able, able-bodied people were applauding that. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> yes. right? So if for those, for the d- disabled community, like the, they don't have the privilege of getting on the subway. Maybe they have to take an Uber to work and that costs or can them. can you imagine having to rely on somebody for everything? Yes. Yeah. yes. Oh, can you reach that for me at the grocery store? Oh, can you uh, mm-hmm. can you help me uh, cross the street here because there's not a curb cut? Mm-hmm. Or that is so demoralizing mm-hmm. for someone to have to constantly ask for an able-bodied person's help mm-hmm. to just live. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally unacceptable. When I, in, in my former workplace. Um, nothing was accessible in there. The doors were heavy. They didn't automatically open. They didn't, mm-hmm. you know. And it's, and we have a long way to go to when it comes to discrimination, right? Uh, towards disabled people. And I was even reading like the police brutality towards disabled people yeah. is like 50% higher than a quote unquote able bodied yeah, people. And of course. I mean, I've seen it, you know, in protest. The, I've seen it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And also, we don't have, we've lost our, you know, um, ability to look at situations with compassion or mm-hmm. empathy. So you see a mother with a child in the grocery store and the child is having a major meltdown. And I, I remember it happening in this, this old man walked by and he was like, control your kid or whatever. And I just thought, how do you know? That, like, I know you, sir, think this is a temper tantrum, but maybe this child has, um, you know, a cognitive disability and is having, you know, um, a moment mm-hmm. and they, their mom knows what to do and is, you know, trying to help them move through this or whatever it might be. Yeah. We've lost that sort of, um, I don't know that, that ability to let people have space to be, it's not about behavior, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to be perfect all the time and people have lots going on. Yeah. So, so for those listening, if the term ableism is, is new to them, how can one be an ally to the disabled community? Is that even the right terminology? Like well, disabled? I think that it's really important for people to um, listen to what disabled people have to say. Right. Right. That's, that's, that's a great the first, first thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, I follow a lot of um, disabled uh, people on social media. Mm-hmm. I learn something every single day. And then maybe you want to um, read articles, you know, because disabled people uh, also uh, have their doctors and lawyers and journalists and uh, baristas and all, uh, all kinds. Of, they hold all kinds of jobs. 
And we're, you know, especially people of a certain generation, we, um, we look at people who are different and we feel sorry for them. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. nothing to feel sorry for. I know lots of disabled people that are very, very happy and they have families and jobs and lives that are, you know, full of joy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of pity and it's, it starts in school. It really does. You know, how many disabled kids are in your child's classroom? How, what do your kids know about disability? Do they, you know, do they understand that we all have feelings and we all, you know, we all love and we all, you know, like certain foods and hate certain foods. And, you know, um, it's, I've, I've learned a lot, um, through my son and, um, yeah, it's, and I, the other thing I think that is really important to talk about is inspiration porn. Mm. And so, um, and I've talked about inspiration porn before, and I'm guilty of inspiration porn. 100% am I guilty of it, especially working in news, because news is full of inspiration porn. So, you know, it's like the, the last story of the newscast, and, oh, it's, um, it's um, a deaf child hearing their parents' voice for the first time, and ah, and that's supposed to make us able-bodied people feel really good, because now that deaf child can hear. Mm-hmm. And that's all of our biggest fear, isn't it? That we'll lose our hearing one day, or we'll lose our sight, or we'll end up in a wheelchair and our lives will be over no those inspiration porn stories are there to make able-bodied people feel better wow yeah and it has to stop yeah and i didn't even know it existed until i listened to disabled people and then i went oh my gosh yes this is so right and for me to admit that you know i was a part of that I'd come out of that news story and I'd be like, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. And, and I've watched right? these videos, I can think of them. Right? It's yeah. been like, wow, incredible. Exactly. So what is it teaching our kids by that? Is to, oh, you don't want to, you don't want to end up like that kid where they, you know, no. Yeah. Or like inherently there's something wrong with that person. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So it can be so subtle and in ways that we're not even aware that we're consuming it. But if you follow and listen and learn from disabled people, mm-hmm. you can't go wrong. And of course, there's different opinions out there in the disabled community. Um, and, you know, every country treats disabled people differently. And, uh, and we are far, 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 far from perfect in Canada. Like we are nowhere near perfect in Canada yeah. when it comes to that. Well, I think you really kind of struck struck the truth there when I asked, like, how where do where do we start? And listening and asking the disabled community, I think that's mm-hmm. that's, that's where because I'm not a perfect right. I, I'm not I'm not an expert on disability. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the mother of a disabled mm-hmm. son. Yes, um, it's my son's experience. I'm just I'm just his mom who yeah. gets I have you know a bigger louder voice than him right now but you know eventually he will be able to advocate for himself but I I can I can never I I see the mistakes of my past in my advocacy where I maybe presented myself as the voice for whatever that is wrong mm. you know I'm not the voice I am just, you know, I am a parent of a disabled son. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's my place, right? Well, I think that goes back to what we were talking about before, like our our privilege. We can we can be allies for other communities, but we can never represent other other communities. Yeah. Uh, we need to ask their opinions and learn from them, and and really be here to to listen and learn. And um, it's it might be a, a shocking statement, but from our place of white privilege, it's not our place to always have an opinion or yeah. be the place of expertise. It's so true, right? Yeah. And yeah. we want to. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the okay. Clo- it's the colonial mindset. Right? To like, exactly. You know, and to be perfect yes. and to have perfection around us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so, I think it's so, um, you know, going back to curiosity, right? Like to be curious about other lives. Like I always say, I did a TED talk, a TEDx talk on, two conversations that changed my life and it was the conversation with the doctors about finding out my son had down syndrome and the conversation with the doctors telling me that i had a 10 centimeter tumor in my small intestine one conversation was positive and one was negative and you would think that the conversation that was negative would be about my tumor but it wasn't the negative conversation was about my beautiful son And the positive conversation was about my big, bad, ugly tumor. And that is like, that is the truth. And that, that needs to stop. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. like, so it goes back to that curiosity of, of, um, talking and asking questions. And, and I always say like, when, when you see somebody who is disabled, like, do you say hi? Or do you not say hi? And if you see a disabled person in your class or uh, at school, do you want to be friends with them? Because I will never forget the conversation I had when Beckett was a baby, a newborn baby. And I was doing that program, uh, Roots of Empathy. And I was talking to some teachers and someone said, oh, well, elementary school is great for you know, disabled kids, because kids are so accepting and they're so great. But when, you know, when they get to high school, no one wants to have lunch with the kid with Down syndrome. And I just like, my heart like ripped open as I'm holding my newborn and I'm doing this Roots of Empathy. And I've never forgotten that. That was Mm -hmm. 14 years ago and I've never forgotten those words. And I mean, they're right. Mm. And it's brutal but we can change that mm-hmm. by how we how we raise our own children to accept we always we like to talk about oh you know everybody's the same and that but really are we are we are we showing are we not are we just saying it or are we showing that to yeah you? well like exactly like how do you model it like i think that it would be important to look at our own lives and say where do we intentionally like intersect to like be enriched, not just to be like, oh, we're going to go volunteer at the whatever it is, Boys and Girls Club or something, but like, hey, how can we like make space for someone in our lives who is different than us? And it, it could be uh, someone with a disability or someone who just looks or believes or behaves differently than we do. But to say, we want to make space for that so we can learn and grow as a family or as individuals. And then for our kids, it's normalized because like, oh, mom and dad have a friend who is whatever Mm -hmm. so the Mm -hmm. kid at school who's like that is like oh yeah that's like i get that Mm -hmm. right it's Mm -hmm. not it's demystified it's not Mm -hmm. like oh what's gonna happen because kids have all kinds of different questions and i mean kids didn't see disabled kids in school you know when we were kids no 
No. Right. It, it, well, at least when I was a kid, you guys are kid kids uh, compared to me. But, you know, we didn't have that in, we didn't, ha- I didn't, I never went to school with a disabled student. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that long ago. It was not very long ago that when you had a baby with a disability, uh, the first conversation was adoption or institution. And our institution in, in BC, um, uh, Woodlands closed in 97, I believe it mm-hmm. was, you know, so it wasn't that long ago and it's very fresh and, and we've changed a little bit, but we have a long, long way to go, a long way to go. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember this, when we started the juice truck, we started as a food truck in Gastown. And I re- remember meeting, you know, people that lived in the downtown east side community and there'd be disabled people that would literally it's so heartbreaking to even share this that would literally be just be dropped there by their parents that Mm -hmm. were for whatever reason unable to to deal with with the challenges um but it just showed that our society was not was only supporting one kind of person Mm -hmm. and it was just so heartbreaking to see Mm -hmm. that reality um on the flip side, I remember watching uh, quite recently, maybe last summer, the movie with Shia LaBeouf. Uh, it's like Peanut Butter. Oh, yeah, something. yeah, Falcon, yeah. Peanut Butter Falcon. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's such a beautiful film. Um, I believe the the co-star of the film had Down syndrome yep. as well. And, mm-hmm. and, I mean, spoiler, but the, the actor, um, the star with Down syndrome, teaches Shia LaBeouf everything about life. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the star of the movie and, and the character that's Shia LaBeouf becomes this richer, better person mm-hmm. because of this experience. And it's really yeah. not the other way around. Exactly. Right. And and when we were talking about, you know, listen to disabled people. And I follow so many people with Down syndrome yes. all over the world. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, there's a there's a uh, young man in North Van who had the granola kid who has his own granola company. There's uh, a model in um, in Britain who was uh, she was a model for Gucci. There is a model in um, in uh, was it Norway and she was on the cover of Vogue Scandinavia, the cover oh, of yes. Vogue, you know, and this is not inspiration porn. This yes. is people working. Yes. Like you and I work. That's what it is. And it's normalized. And mm-hmm. so that's why I follow and I share it all the time because I, I, it's important to me that people recognize what ableism is uh, and teach their kids to not be ableists <laughs> mm. and to accept people that we per, perfection doesn't exist. Normalize and celebrate yeah. differences and be curious, like you were saying. Yeah, it's like uh, um, the 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 young man Chris um, Nisik. Yeah, Nisik. Yeah, yeah. Him and I message each other all the time. Although it's his dad who does most of the messaging. Okay, he's a he's the Iron Man. Ran and like completed an Iron Man. Wow. First so, person with Down syndrome. I listen. I watch Chris on his stories all the time. Like he's that guy is running all the time, and now he's um, he's he's very open about his uh, with his girlfriend yeah. and their relationship. And I mean, it's for me seeing Chris. Uh, I think he was on the cover of Time or Sports Illustrated or oh, something. I'm not sure. And I I just like it is. So meaningful. I took a picture of Beckett holding Chris's book. Oh, he, yeah. He, um, 
because they wrote a book, him and his dad, about 1% better. 1% more. better. Yeah. That's like his 1% better, mantra yeah. or whatever. Every day, That's right. 1%, 1% better. better. 1% better. Which is so awesome for right? anyone to be like, okay, exactly. I, can, I can do that. Exactly. So I always wonder, like, how many able-bodied people will read this book? Because it was written by a dad and his son with Down syndrome. So mm. that's the first thing, right? I think that most able-bodied people will look at that and be like, I'm not going to read a book from a, you know, a guy with Down syndrome. I, that's the reality of my life. Yeah. Whereas I look at that book and I go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I bought the book right away. I took a picture of Beckett holding the book and, and I, I posted it because I never thought 14 years ago that my son would be holding a book a New York Times bestseller book, book. by somebody with down syndrome yeah and I for me it was it was a huge moment oh my goodness because what an example this man is right Chris yeah. what an example like a dedicated athlete well, like totally. an elite athlete but he doesn't look like an elite athlete because we have an idea in our head of what an elite right. athlete looks well, like. It comes back to the quote that you shared about what able body yes. it, or what ableism is. And it's that imagined, right? Like this is even people who are able bodied. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are like, I don't like my body mm-hmm. because it's this imagined reality right i mean zach and i've talked a lot about this as people who are like into fitness and it's like oh yeah Mm. part of it is like competitive and i want to be like chris like one percent better every day but at what point can you just be like grateful that i have this right yeah so yeah it's incredible i think it's exciting to see people like chris who are who are literally changing the world yes i think oh man yeah 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 it's amazing Makes me think about like representation and how we've been mm-hmm. learning about who has a seat at the table and mm-hmm. you know if there isn't a a disabled person at the table maybe maybe yeah. you know check your well no city should ever be uh, you know designing uh, anything yeah. without a disabled person mm-hmm. at the table yeah. at least yes at least one or two of them at least one or two people at the table should be disabled if you were mm-hmm. designing how a city works or, you know, uh, walkways and transportation and Mm -hmm. all of those things. This is not, uh, you know, an able, we do not live in an able-bodied society. Well, for saying 25% of people have some sort of disability. And like, if you look at magazine covers and like kind of the heroes that we celebrate, it doesn't reflect that. And I think we're hopefully making changes, like talking about this, this Chris individual and, Like, I think it'd be a great world when you go to somebody's house and instead of a poster of Wayne Gretzky, there's a poster of this Chris individual, you know? Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. what we should strive mm-hmm. for and yeah. see heroes in all shapes and sizes and forms because, you know, not all heroes wear capes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. But even this building here that we're in, it's a relatively new building and the ramp out front didn't get put in until a month ago yes because why would we need to put in a ramp <laughs> but but you I, know what i mean exactly 100 percent. i mean you, unless you went into the underground yeah parking and then access the elevator yeah like because the person who designed it and the person who built it nobody was disabled well and interestingly <laughs> enough too <laughs> that's like, why yeah and i mean like i this whatever it's not taking shots but it's just exposing the reality is like you don't get occupancy permits unless the city approves them. And so 
while there was a lot of people who were very grateful mm -hmm. that the occupancy permits were given, like if there was someone who yeah. had mobility issues, yes, how do they get into their new place? Like it was well, pretty bad. That's why people with disabilities need to be on the city planning committee or whatever it might be right? and pay them for their work. Honestly. <laughs> like it's not, you know, a volunteer position to tell someone how to, yeah. you know, make mm -hmm. their city accessible for them, yeah. or their building accessible. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's super, it's super interesting. Yeah. And I think that once you see it, you can never unsee it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the important thing, you know, like, be curious and ask questions yeah. and why, Hey, why, where's the, where's, do you not have a wheelchair accessible bathroom in this restaurant? Oh no. You know, it's a, you know, really? Okay. So, I mean, it's all the little things that able-bodied people never think about. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we don't yeah. even have to, yeah. cause the world is quite literally designed yes. for those of us who it are able-bodied. It was able -bodied. built for able-bodied people. Yeah. Yes. Well, maybe we can, we can, um, talk on one more Tamara Taggart chapter before we wrap things sure. up. And, and, and you touched on it with uh, mentioning your TED talk of those two kind of scenarios in your life mm -hmm. that were, were life changing. Um, can we talk about your, your experience with cancer and how that changed how you saw the world? Mm, yeah, of course. So I had, uh, it, it's been 10 years. I can't believe it. In some ways, it feels like it was yesterday. In other ways, it feels like it it, it didn't happen. Mm. It was some weird dream. Um, I was uh, 42, turning 43, and um, I just had Poppy. She was a year old, um, and I was very anemic. Like, I was super, super anemic. for From after I had her until... Uh, I went in the hospital. So I'd say for about 10 months, I was very anemic. And to the point where, um, um, like, so the normal hemoglobin for a woman is like 115. I'm just going by the numbers on my chart. It's 115 to 160, somewhere in there. And I was at about like 85. It wasn't good. Mm. And I, you know, I knew something was wrong and I just kept being told, oh, you're a mom of three and you work full time and, and you bleed every month and women are just tired. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? Like, does every woman feel like this? How are, how is the world moving? Yeah. Like this is, and then I, I felt like a failure. I was like, okay, I need to like, you know, pull up my socks here and not be tired. And I'd come home from work and I'd fall asleep on the couch before We'd even made dinner, you know, Dave and I would eat after the kids were in bed because I worked until seven. And I then started seeing a hematologist and I um, went to the hospital for iron infusions. And then I'd walk in and the nurses would be like, how are you getting up in the morning? Like, how are you functioning? And I'm like, I don't know, like all women are tired. And they're like, mm -mm, no, no, that's not the way it is. And they're like, you're going to get this iron infusion. You're going to walk out of here like a new person. And I never did. Hmm. And I thought, okay, there's something wrong. But it, it's that, it's that, and I think this happens to women especially a lot. You're too young, you work, you have kids, you, you know, this is normal for women. Like don't, you know, it, it's not normal. I, I, I went, and so I started looking elsewhere. I saw a homeopath. I saw a naturopath. I saw like everybody. I took every tincture there was. I spent stupid amounts of money, you know, trying to figure things out. And then I went to work 
uh, I woke up with a really bad headache and I, I'm someone who, you know, experiences bad headaches. And I, this was a headache that I'd never had before. And, uh, we were just getting ready to go on air and I, uh, I went to the washroom and I brought my phone with me and which is not something I typically do, but I, I did for some reason. And I went uh, into the stall and I woke up on the floor and, um, uh, it was not good. And I just like called <laughs> my, uh, co-anchor and I said, you know, can you, I need help. And so somebody came in, they got me into a cab. I couldn't drive and I got home and my husband was like, you have food poisoning. This is exactly what happened to me when I ate crab at that restaurant. And I'm like, yes, it's food poisoning because you want it to be food poisoning. Mm -hmm. And by the next day I was in emergency. Uh, The ambulance came, emergency. And I had just had my blood tested the day before and I was at 82 that's where my hemoglobin was at. And when I got to emergency and I was being wheeled in, they couldn't get a vein in the ambulance. And the emergency room doctor, I will never forget him, mostly because his name was Dr. Dick. <laughs> I will never forget his name. <laughs> Sorry, but it's true. Yeah. And um, I remember he came in and he said, I'm ordering you blood right now. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I said, my hemoglobin's at 80. And he goes, Tamara? you are dying and uh, your lips are the color of that pillow. And I was like, no, but it's, it's 80, it's 82. I just had it checked. And he, and he said, well, we'll deal with that later. I'm getting you blood. And I was given eight blood, eight bags of blood. And he came back and he said, your hemoglobin's at 46. And they do a transfusion at 60 is what I was told. And as soon as he told me what it was, I knew I was in trouble. And so I had a bunch of tests. It was the worst 48 or 24 hours of my life. And they found a tumor hanging off my small intestine. And it's called a gastrointestinal stromal tumor, or a GIST for short. Um, And it's a rare sarcoma that affects mostly senior citizens. And um, 15 in a million people get it. Wow. Oh, and, my goodness. And so there, and there happened to be a just expert oncologist at the cancer agency wow. at that time. And so um, I healed from a massive surgery. I went and saw him, the oncologist, on Valentine's Day that year. And... I, you know, tried not to look online because Dr. Google can really mess with you big time. And I didn't look online and mostly because I had a Blackberry. <laughs> Those were the days. And I was like, you can't look on, let's face it, right? There's no looking online yeah. with that. And, um, and I, 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 I went with my husband and my best friend, Salima, and we're in this tiny room with this oncologist and I'm terrified. We're all terrified. And I looked at him and I said, is this going to be what kills me? And I remember my husband and Salima going, oh my God, did you need to like come out of the gate with that question? And that's the only thing I could think of. And he said to me, in the short term, no. In the long term, not if I can help it. And Mm -hmm. as soon as he said that to me, I was just like, okay. Let's go. Yeah, let's just do whatever we got to do. And I, you know, I went on a chemo drug for three years and, and it was horrible. But the lessons I learned were that we really do die. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really trite and, and silly to say that. 
we all know we're going to die, but we would never survive or get through life if we thought about it every day and really, really knew, right? And so, but I knew in that moment, like I, I, I knocked on the door and I, I didn't know when I was going in for that surgery. I remember saying to my husband, like, you know, like I might, like I was, it was awful. Yeah. And I had a one-year-old, uh, a three-year-old and a four-year-old at home. And, um, and so it's, you know, when I look back on it and listen, that all fades away with time, right? And life and busyness, that initial sort of um, shift in perspective and what's important and all of that started to fade over the years. And it wasn't until I finished, I finished my chemo and about, I thought I'd be on that chemo for longer um, because it's a, it's a complicated, weird uh, sarcoma that is sneaky. And, and so when I went off of it, I was very worried. All of a sudden I was like, no, 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 no. I actually still want to keep taking that powerful, disgusting drug that yeah. is making my life hell. I don't want you to take that away. Um, it, you know, it, I, I realized that, you know, life is short, obviously, but it actually, we, we do actually die. Like we really, truly do die. And so that's when, when I see things happening in the world that are so ugly and uh, painful and, and mean and, um, and unfair, it, it hurts me in a different way because we're all going to die. And I, I truly do know that. And I know what it feels like to almost die. I know what, I know what that feeling is. And, um, so when I see people being so mean to each other and so horrible to each other and, and fighting and racism and, and ableism and all of it, it, it hurts me in a way that I have a hard time describing Hmm. because I have a different view of it. And anybody who has come close to dying, I mean, I, I don't think everybody's the same, but I do think that, that anybody that's listening that has experienced that will understand what I'm saying. It's, it's really profound. Did it simplify like what matters and what doesn't matter in some sense? Or Yeah, but of course I was still in that job, right? And mm-hmm. I was still like having to perform and having to do certain things. I know where I was going to this place where, you know, after, so after I finished my chemo, it was like, okay, I'm done. And I, you know, and then I sort of started to relax a bit. And it was about, it was about a year after I finished my chemo drug that I had a massive anxiety attack at work. Mm -hmm. Like to, I've never had anything like that happen to me. I, I couldn't control my body. I couldn't control, I couldn't control anything. And I was off work for three months And, uh, and I'm somebody who, you know, I've been doing therapy my entire life for other various reasons, but I I was in, uh, therapy at the time and it was, I I remember going to see my GP and I was like, okay, well, you know, and she's like, I've been waiting for this. And I said, what? She goes, I've been waiting for this to happen. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, because it happens to everybody after they've had cancer. Hmm. She goes, but it didn't happen with you right away. It usually happens with people right away. Like within the first three months, they, the fight is over. 
like the the I gotta everything gets pushed to the side and I'm gonna fight this and I'm gonna you know I have one goal and that is to get through this and then once you get through it your guard comes down and then all the pain and all the anxiety and all the fear and everything that you've been suppressing for Mm -hmm. however many years just comes spewing out And she goes, it didn't happen with you quickly. And she goes, and I watched you, you know, I watched Beckett born and then you had to fend off all this stuff and you were just constant. She goes, and then cancer. And she goes, and you've just been like this soldier that has just marched on and, you know, it's like water on a duck's back. It's just like, you just like, no, I will not, you know, and then forward, forward, forward. And then it happened. Mm -hmm. And the way it happened for me was extremely uh, traumatizing and uh, and it was a huge lesson mm-hmm. and I think that that's where it really changed for me not in the fight and not in that year where I had to you know I was like oh I'm off the drug and stuff it was after that anxiety attack where I didn't recognize myself and I didn't know where my brain was at or what was happening and and you know through medication and a lot of uh, intense therapy. I've been able to sort of, you know, navigate it better. It almost makes me think, obviously different journeys, but, uh, you know, we've all seen those movies with those war veterans that come back and they're no longer in a war environment and they have an anxiety attack in like a grocery store. Yeah. You know, like they hear a sound and that takes them to an experience and they like had kept it in all this time and, and they have a complete breakdown when they're grocery shopping of all places. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it happens to people all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, and the the scary thing about it is, is when it's happening, it's so scary because you actually have no control. Yeah. Uh, and we there's a lot of things in life we don't have control of. Right. Um, and we try to control the things that we can. But when this happened, it it. It, yeah, it, it, it changed a lot of things for me mm-hmm. and it's still with me, right? It didn't. And I think it always was with me. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, this is not something new. It's, it's something that was always there, but I didn't, it finally just went, okay, I'm here. I am. I'm yeah. coming out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Do you think you have like less patience for like quote unquote BS bullshit kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, I think so. I think that's gone, where it comes gone from. Through that experience yeah and I I want people to understand that you know we you know it's it's not hard to to understand what is right and wrong in life it's really not right and and so I think that when I see some people um acting in ways that are really um um you know, elitist or privileged or whatever it might be, whatever label you want to put on it, 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 it hurts me because mm-hmm. I, because at the end of the day, we don't get to take any of this with us. The only thing that we get to leave are memories. And I want the memories that I leave to be good ones. Mm-hmm. I want people to remember me in a good way. I don't want them to be like, oh man, she followed that racist website and she, you know what I mean? Or whatever it is that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, we we only, that's all we get to leave. Yeah. And we don't even get to take the memories with us. We just get to leave something. And it doesn't matter if we leave a house or a car or this or that. Like, I want the memories of the people that have left this earth, right? I have those memories, thank goodness. So my job, that's what changed mostly for me, 
was my job as a parent is to create the best memories I can for my kids mm -hmm. so that one day when I am gone, they have all these memories and hopefully stories yeah. that they can tell and share about me. Yeah. What it really shapes, like it, sh it shapes the relationship and it imprints and impacts, I think, on those closest people to us, like the essence of who you are, mm -hmm. right? It's not just a memory, but you're kind of imparting, obviously genetics, but like also just mm -hmm. the way that you are and that that legacy, not just memories, but legacy like lives on, mm -hmm. which is which is beautiful because we're not even here to see it anymore. Mm -hmm. But that impact can still kind of go out in the world. Yeah. And and make positive changes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you think about like we were talking about the systemic issues um, of Canada, I think we have when you're talking about legacy, we have the we all have the potential to leave a systemic positive impact on the circle that we surround ourselves with, whether that's our family or our community. And I think if you live with integrity and you live with purpose and passion and, and a will to, you know, celebrate all and, and, and create a space for, for all we can, we can create a system that is hopefully good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, instead of this, you know, colonial white supremacist system that we're, currently trying to decolonize mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um in our own little micro communities we can create hopefully positive systems yeah. that and live I mean, on we talked about the pie right yeah like, you know life isn't pie yeah and there are there you know there is enough for everybody and even if we have it all mm -hmm. we don't get to take it with us and so you know to leave behind as you said a legacy right mm. of stories and feelings and I remember somebody saying you know you're like when your kid walks in the room what's the feeling you're giving out when you see them mm. like you know do you just look up and keep going and and right because for you to walk into a room and see your parent like look at you like oh hi you know or a big smile or whatever that's what you remember those big smiles every time my mom saw me she had a big smile mm -hmm. on her face mm -hmm you know, or whatever it might be, right? It's those little things. And that is what brings joy to our life. And that is what, you know, we are supposed to be joyful on this planet. And 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 I, everybody should have the opportunity to feel joy. Yes, yes. I'm reading The Book of Joy right now by Douglas Abrams. He interviews the, um, the Dalai Lama and the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I, inter I interviewed... Uh, Desmond Tutu. Oh man, mm -hmm. that's incredible. Yeah, he's like an idol. I can, I will never forget the sound of his laugh. His laugh oh. is like that's pure crazy. joy. Yes, pure joy in his laugh. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, you should, you should check out the book. It's amazing. Yes, I'm just, I'm just reading it, and like half the time, I'm just smiling from ear to ear reading it because you can it literally yeah. like radiates off the pages and it is it's like this is the point of our existence 100 percent. yeah 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 and it's a rebellion like joy is a rebellion against cynicism and like the kind 100%. of just like status quo and i'm just gonna get mine because joy is not selfish like it is just an abundance and like yeah more chairs at the table and always. joy is free yes <laughs> so good so good i love that well, i yeah. think i think this is a nice place to land land this conversation but maybe we can do what we like to do and shoot a couple random fire questions and yeah 
Okay, I'm ready. Random rapid fire. Are you up for it? Yep. Okay. All right. You got any dinner? I got one. So one of the things you said early on, and it resonated with me right away, because I, I feel like I've tried to live this way, is you talked about like having open doors and then just like walking through mm-hmm. whatever kind of like comes in front of you. So can you talk about one that maybe, I mean, maybe it's something we've touched on already, but perhaps not. What's an unexpected door that you opened or walked through that took you somewhere that you kind of weren't planning on going or was something that you didn't expect in life, good or challenging? Well, there's, you know, I, I think the one that comes to mind immediately is, um, is, uh, being asked to do the weather, right? Because I was new and it was, uh, not my intention to ever be a weather caster and it never crossed my mind. And, I had everything run through my mind for the reasons why I should say no right now. And I remember my boss asking me and, you know, he said, I really want you to do the weather on the 5, 6 and 1130 news. And I was like, I just remember thinking, oh, my God, like, where is the candid camera? Like, this is a joke, right? And I realized he wasn't joking. And I was like, uh, OK, sure. I just, I, I just said, sure, because I thought that it's never going to get September is never going to be here. And September came and, uh, there I was the scaredest I've ever been in my entire life. Like I, I, I was, I've never been so scared. And, um, and I was miserable that first day, like not miserable. I was, I was miserable at doing the weather. I yeah. was like, I was not good because yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. <laughs> And that's when I realized I had to, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to say yes to the doors that open, then I need to prep myself. (laughs) And so that's when I started studying like intensely with, um, a professor in atmospheric science at UBC. And so that made it much better. And I did that for 10 years. And so I never thought that that would be a road I would walk down. If you would have told me like, you know, five years earlier, 10 years earlier, you're going to do the weather one. I would have been like, no, I'm not. Yeah. You know, the whole green screen and all of that. It was a big, it was a big, that's just the first one that comes up because I just remember going, oh yeah. Okay. Thinking in my head, I'm never going to get here. Like (laughs) change his mind by September, you know, (laughs) I'll just say yes and be a team player. Yeah. Yeah, because that green screen, it's like reverse, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a whole thing. Oof. I definitely point in the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your hope for the future of journalism and how people kind of uh, their relationship with journalism? These are your rapid fire ones? These are intense uh, questions. We'll, we'll get easier. We'll get Jeez. easier. We'll get easier. What is my hope for the future of journalism? Oh my gosh, that is so heavy. Do we oh, have no. an hour? Shoot. Um. I, always throw, I always throw a serious one. In the oh my size. gosh. My hope, you know what? My hope is, is that people um, learn how to recognize mm-hmm. what is, um, what is, what is journalism with integrity Mm -hmm. and what is a clickbait right and what is the difference and when your mother-in-law sends you a link to something don't click on it it's never (laughs) a good idea yeah Uh, keep that in mind my mother-in-law sent some good emails she's she's good she's with it her her nightly routine is like watching the national oh there you go and and others but that's like yeah i watch a lot of i watch all three national newses in this country yeah but i just think she secretly has a crush on ian hen oh she probably does (laughs) he's uh they seem oh we saw him walking on the (laughs) scene okay what's the last here's an easier one for you what's the last show you you binge watched on netflix Mm. oh mayor of east town oh that's so good it's so good we watched that recently 
I did not know what it was about. Uh, we could not stop watching. We yeah. didn't have kids for two nights, and we were like, we should watch a show. <laughs> and then we watched the first one, and we're like, oh, start, uh, next one, go. Yeah. And then next one, go. And then I'm like, it's two in the morning. We got to go to bed. Yeah. We can't stay up that late. But we watched the whole thing in the time that the kids were gone. Yeah. I loved it. It was like, it was what, seven or, seven or eight episodes? Yeah. 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 Kate Winslow was amazing. Incredible. So so, so have, have you watched Hacks? No, I, we don't watch a lot of uh, shows in them. We don't have time. We're too tired at the yeah, end of the day. It's true. It's Wait true. till yours grow up a little bit. It oh gets my, more tired. More tired? Oh my gosh, they're exhausting. Oh my gosh. Okay. Seriously. Uh, okay, I'm going to steal yours. Okay. Um, book that you've read that has impacted you the most or that you have like given away the most to people because you're like, you got to read this book. Uh, Sitting Pretty is one that comes to mind. Yeah, I think that everybody should read that book. It gives you, um, you know, when I say read disabled uh, authors and activists and uh, journalists, that is a good one, uh, Sitting Pretty. Um, there's another book by uh, that really uh, changed everything for me called in my own moccasins by Helen Knott and Helen is uh, an indigenous woman who lives in northern BC and she is writing her second book right now and her book in my own moccasins is a game changer and should be a must read for everybody in this country amazing yeah those are two that come to mind uh, first person that you think of because you have an amazing podcast as well who's who's like a dream guest for you who is a dream guest for me? Uh, I'm trying to think who said no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who do you want to manifest to have on your podcast? Um, oh my gosh. I really wanted to talk to, um, uh, I wanted to talk to, oh gosh, this is a hard one. I knew you were going to ask something like this. I should have been we better. Can take, we can take a pass too. Okay. Let me come back to that okay. one. Okay. Sure. Is there another one? Any more before our closer? We've got, uh, I mean, obviously the world has not looked normal, whatever that means for Mm -hmm. the last couple of years, but things are kind of like coming back. So first, first place you can take the whole family. You want to go somewhere. Where are you going to go? I, I mean, the, the, my first reaction is to go see, uh, uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law in Palm Springs. That's where they live. And I know it's not, you know, it's, it's only a short ways away in that, but we haven't been able to go. And so that means that, you know, our kids haven't seen their aunt and uncle and we have a very small family. And so we talk a lot about going to auntie and uncle's house and swimming and, you know, just hanging out and, you know, eating guacamole and chips and laying in the sun. So So that's the first one. But I mean, I have dreams of going to Ireland and, Italy and Japan and I mean so many places you know but yeah Palm Springs will be the first place we go just to see our family not a bad place to go too I mean you gotta go somewhere your family could like live in Alaska or something no shade to Alaska but like yeah exactly exactly you know a little colder you know (laughs) I somebody who I've wanted to talk to is um Abby Wambach that's somebody who I've wanted to talk to and I haven't been able to seal that deal yet okay because um she wrote a book called, uh, I think it might be called Wolfpack. Yes. And it's a little book. Yeah. And it really, uh, it had a big effect on me because I never looked at, um, uh, you know, elite athletes through the lens of a woman. Mm. I just sort of, because I'm not, I'm not an elite athlete. Hell, I'm not even an athlete, right? And you guys talk about running. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I run to the fridge and that's about it. But. Hey. 
So when Small I victories, when right? she talked about you know getting like the athlete of the year award and yes. standing next to you know two famous football players or basketball players or something and and how their careers were just beginning, you know, yes. at the end of their athletic careers and and uh, and hers was you know mm. well how's a woman gonna you know a soccer player you know mm-hmm. going to expand this into an after career and I, I never looked at it that way before and I found yeah. it really really fascinating and it it opened my eyes to uh to athletes who are women who are not treated equally in any way shape or form yes oh it's so true yeah really good one on that sort of lens of, of female athletes um bravey by alexi pappas that, oh, okay that one's so good she's this olympic runner uh just like an amazing story of her life she'd be a really good guest oh you, there you, you go you do a good job interviewing her I, okay I there you um, go okay dina do you want do you want to close her out do you want it this time i feel like i've done it every I time know, it's tradition, tradition though no, let's stick to tradition, okay, stick to tradition. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we uh we have our podcast a little more good we named it that with intention of like, we wanted to create that and see that in the world. And each of our guests we have on, we love to ask what that means to you. So Tamara, what does a little more good mean to you? I think it means accepting everybody for who they are and where they're at and understanding that we're all different and we all fall down and it's when we do fall down it's really nice to have somebody there that will help us back up again and i hope i hope i've been that person to people and i hope that you know i know people have been that to me too so i think that's what i think about when i think about a little more good in the world that's awesome thank you so much well thank you tomorrow grateful grateful for you for the the space that you hold for what you share for, you know, just being a, a source of, of inspiration and, and someone that embodies a little more good in so many ways. So thank you for your time and for all the things that uh, you do in this community. Oh, thank you for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks. All right, Dina. Yeah. That was a great one. So good. So grateful for the opportunity to have these conversations and just listen and learn and be reminded of, you know, the power of people's stories yes. and how, you know, the things that happen in life, um, they allow us to become the people that I think like we're all are always there, but maybe like the different struggles or hardships or challenges or even victories that we face, like really allow us to step into our fullness and I got that. I got that from a lot of what she was sharing. Yeah, that was that was such a you know some of some of the conversations when we're lucky we get into a bit of a flow state where you know the conversation can go anywhere and it's the possibility of that is exciting and I think we kind of lived there for a little bit with Tamara. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. Yes, uh, we look forward to you know further conversations with 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 Tamara and uh, hope you guys will follow along. Uh, you know, we always appreciate uh, if you've made it this far, if you can uh, leave a review on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you listen to this podcast. Yeah. It goes a long way in allowing us to further spread 
the message of a little more good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, share it with a friend if you if you think someone you know would like this or benefit from part of the conversation. Uh, we would so just appreciate if you shared it that way. And, you know, we all have, uh, well, I don't know, if you're like Zach and I, we're always like texting each other podcasts back and forth and, you know, why we need to listen to this one. And it's it's so true because like, there's so many pods that are on the queue, but when someone that you know or love like sends one through, you're like, okay, I want to listen to that. So you could be that person. You could be, <laughs> be you that could, person. You could be my Zach sending us, sending podcasts oh, my way. baby. Yeah. But either way, thank you so much for your attention and time and listening and being with us in this way. We just appreciate it so much. All right. Thanks everyone. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.